And we're live. Welcome back to yet another episode. First, let's say proof of life. Nick is here. He's not dead. Stabby has not killed him, so that is a plus. So let's give a golf clap for Stabby. Uh, we, we appreciate that she didn't kill you. No holes that we can see. And uh, if we can't see them, we don't want to know. Family-friendly no, show, Nick. Yeah, they're off camera. All right. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we are going to do an update and then get into this fireside chat. And I know this topic has you, uh, if you're looking at the title, has you scratching your head and we're, we're going to get there. But first, Nick, how have you been, man? Oh, been amazing. Been amazing. I uh, understand the, uh, the ETs coming, coming for you. I know uh, you were up at the space station fighting them off and we appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's been rough. Uh, um, I, I expected it. I mean, don't get me wrong. It is a complete dumpster fire out there, but, uh, the, uh, the aliens have organized themselves, which is amazing. Like they went to like, um, true human tribal nature. It's like, okay, we're the first ones here. We're going to set this up. And they created a roster of who made your job easier. Yeah. Oh, dude, I came in and like one of the aliens came in and was like, Hey, official, you know, we, we made a list and I'm like, all right, Demi, give me, give, give me the list. And I look at it. I'm like, okay, so how is this set up? And he explains to me. He's like, okay, so these are family units because we know they go in first. And here's all the family names. And we assigned a number to them. And I'm like, that's freaking impressive, dude. And I'm like, all right, cool. Um, so when we start pulling bodies to, to go back to the station to be processed, come up and help me out so I know who's who in the zoo, you know. So it's been awesome. Um, feeding uh, chow time, same way organized by uh we started handing out colored wristbands and they're like all right well all right we're gonna do the the greens right now now the yellows now the reds now the blues you know and they come in they sit down we hand them out their bottle of water and their you know the chewy bar i'm like all right cool you do not okay so first off dear listener these aliens are a little rough you don't want to know what's in that chewy bar i'm just saying it's not for the squeamish uh what i really have to know though is you know the space chips, been mainly yeah, and it's the the uh, the the space force has been really secretive about this, and so I'm hoping you can blow a, blow a lid on this one. But how hard was Q course for the door gunner on the spaceships? Was that hard? Oh, it's amazing hard. Like I wouldn't want to do it again. Again, yeah, <laughs> I, I tried, but they didn't have maternity size suits. But I'm I'm working on it. So I've been it's, I've been dieting, and I'm a big fan of oxygen, and there's yeah. a part of that where they deprive you of it. And I'm not a fan of that. Not a fan. All. Okay. No, okay. I, I like taking, I like raw dogging, big lung capacity filled air, you know? <laughs> all right. So when you're not, you know, keeping the alien hordes at bay uh, and protecting Solarin prime, uh, what are you working on? A uh, little bit of everything. Um, I'm working on a comic strip for a, uh, young reader to even adult reader, but, when I say adult reader, I don't mean like mature, like mature content. It's just like it's it's for everybody um, to get people more interested into the comic book medium. Um, it's called a kid in a comic. Uh, I've got eleven issues right now that I'll I'll start distributing when I go to conventions. Um, 
And the link will be in the show notes because I should probably give you that link since I'm giving a shout out. Um, I got a strip in there. It's uh, 8 by 12 uh, dealing with my favorite guy, my main dude, one of the first comic characters I ever created that I liked, the Phantom Hawk. And you guys have heard me talk about him on previous shows. So uh, it's, a, it's a really fun um, collaborative effort from a lot of A-list talent in the comic book industry. So... Um, I read through it and I was like, man, this is, it's got puzzles. It's got like a, a coloring portion. It's got multiple comic um, strips from all these A-listers from different types of genres to, from like action adventure to sci-fi to zombies to the superhero ones that, you know, the ones that I like. So uh, it, it's really a great, um, a great, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, we'll just call it a newspaper. It's really a great newspaper. Okay, so I have been uh, working on this series with James. We've called it the Curse Brigade. We have hired you to do some of the art for the um, for the book. So it's a um, you know James came to fame, James Ward, D and D fame with TSR and the uh, Gods and Demigods. Uh, he's did Metamorphosis Alpha and um, what was the other one? Gamma? No. Oh, hell. Um, I'm drawing a blank. There was the other one. Metamorphosis <laughs> Alpha in something, uh, Starship Warden, Spaceship Warden, something like that. Yeah, yeah. He's going yeah. to be really yeah. mad that I didn't know this, so uh, we're going to pretend like I did anyway. And, we'll um, fix it in post. We'll, we'll fix it in post. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so he his audience is largely, um, largely comic books, so we thought, or not comic book, uh, D&D stuff. And video or video games, RPGs in general. So we thought we would add to the back of this book series um, stat blocks for all the main like monsters they're fighting, and and you know the U.S. side, like just in general that someone could incorporate in a game. James yeah. has sort of patented his own generic system that he'll write that people can adapt to anything. Um, and so we've hired you to do some of the art for that to uh, for a Sepapard, which is a Egyptian monster and a striker. Um, so Gamma World, there we go. Metamorphosis Gamma Alpha and World. Gamma World. I totally didn't look that up. I just knew it. Just don't look at my history where you see me looking it up. Um, but yeah, so he's. Uh, we hired you to do some of the drawing. Kind of excited about that. Book one is done. We're just waiting on some edits from some well, Australian it, friends. It gives me an opportunity to draw Egyptian undead skeletal warriors, which I've always That's wanted cool. to do. And nobody ever wanted to pay me for it. So until now, until now. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. And who doesn't like drawing like Bradley's and strikers and military equipment? Cause it's all cool. Yeah. So we did. Um, so we're doing, he's, we're doing that I'm on the book one. We're just waiting on some edits from some Australians. Cause the, uh, the premise is, uh, modern military unit, the striker brigade circa 2004, 2005 when I was in, cause that's what I know. And I didn't want to relearn all the new army stuff. Like I'm like, I'll write what I know. Because yeah. it's easier. Um, and so much changed since we got out, you and I. Um, oh, it, some, it's amazing. Some of it for the better, some of it not. Yeah. Um, I think getting back to the fundamentals, marksmanship, remembering your bras, breathe, relax, aim, slight squeeze, remembering your fundamentals of marksmanship, your fundamentals of uh, navigation, realizing that sometimes electronics break, and if you get too hooked on that stupid scope and you don't know how to iron sight that mofo, I'm just saying sometimes it goes bad. I've been in sandstorms where everything broke. Yeah. All of the electronics, except, so we had a guy that was on my gun truck team that was an electrician. He got, he was active duty, got out. They called him back out of the IRR 
Uh, but he had been working as a electrician in an auto body shop, souping up um, Japanese race cars for people. Nice. So he knew all about the electronics. And we rigged up a Cuisinart coffee pot. They really should have sponsored us and done the commercial. We ran that directly off the battery. Don't ask me what magic wizardry he worked to make that happen. I just knew we put coffee in. Java came out. It was glorious. In the middle of that sandstorm, the Sengars broke. The the scope on uh, one of my guys, ACOG, it broke from the sand. The Cuisinart, it was dirty because it had sand in it, but it kept working. So my, if you my first uh, helicopter malfunction or crash, oh god, that scares people. Was based was because of a sandstorm. A uh, sandstorm yeah. hit Bob Falcon about three days prior. We were getting ready to go do a uh, cordon and search. We were the uh, um, the advanced party leader recon type deal. So uh, we made it 10 feet in the air <laughs> and then the rotor stopped. That is scary crashed, stuff. We crashed really hard into the, uh, onto the hard deck. So uh, every, everybody was fine. We all went to, uh, to the med shed, got checked out by medical, by the docs. And uh, uh, one guy, I think he had like one ruptured disc, um, but everyone else was just, you know, sore. And for those of you who don't know, cordon and search is the idea that you surround the place, cordon, so they can't get away. And then you search the place because they can't get away. You can find what you're looking for. Generally speaking, contraband in the forms of uh, weapons, bomb making stuff, and or uh, high value targets uh, that are doing bad things. Um, and they want to be taken to places where they can't do bad things anymore. Um, but yeah, so we were we were out in the middle of the sandstorm doing a overwatch on one of the MSRs and uh, and the sandstorm came through and the ACOG broke and we had one kid straight out of basic. He's like, I don't know how to shoot without my scope. And I'm like, just use the iron sights, take the ACOG off, you're good to go. I don't know how to do that, Sergeant. And I'm like, holy crap, kid. What did they teach you at boot camp? And all I have to say is apparently Kelly Hill ain't what it used to be. But I'm sure when I went through, the people before me said the same damn thing. Oh, I went through Sand Hill and they before the well shit I went in the mid nineties, so like we didn't have all the the ACOGs or the CCOs or any of the cool optics or anything like that. It was all iron sights. You know, it might have been Sand Hill when I went through in ninety eight. I know we hiked the hills in both of those areas just because our drill sergeants love to torture us. Yeah, and would you say but Kelly I was kind of preoccupied not dying, so I don't remember yeah. the specifics. <laughs> I'd have to dig it up. <laughs> and Fort Benning is just unforgivable terrain. If it isn't. The mosquitoes or the uh, the red mud snakes. or the snakes or the clay. The red clay was horrific. The, the weight, yeah, the red clay, the red mud, the uh, the what we called wait a minute vines. That oh yes, yes. Place. Um, they'd attach to your canteen, your rucksack, your rifle, your genitalia, your boots, everything. You know, but and it just hey, wait a minute, and you're like, oh man, how did I get cut up in this? Because it would hit you so fast. <clears throat> That's why you, you have the best infantry soldiers in the world because we trained in Fort Benning, Georgia. I just remember, because like I said, I, I, I've i had uh, the the doctors have finally looked at my complete record and my estimate of 27 concussions has been moved to 35 by their count from medical reports. So I say that to say you, you, my memory ain't what it used to be. And you know that's why I'm sympathetic when people go after the non-vets for the stolen valor. They're like, oh, you don't remember the minute detail of your boot camp 40 years ago. I'm like, shut up with that nonsense. 
Okay, like, I remember they, a couple of things. Of, of, you know, and I've been. They called our. Um, our was, yeah, was, they called our PT yeah. area Hell's Half Acre. I remember that. Because that sort uh, of sticks in your mind. Yeah, we had the Stairway to Heaven over there, yes. two five eight, uh, that went to the uh, the mile long PT track, which yep. was awesome. I remember running that. In my brain, it made perfect sense. I don't have to run four laps. I only have to run two. Let's do this. You know, even though it was a really long freaking track. But uh, yeah, I what I remember I most about Sheffield PT. and not eating or sleeping a whole lot. I remember, and I've talked about this in my newsletter, so it's not really a spoiler, but we were going through uh, getting ready to do the uh, the bayonet drill because you got to make the grass grow. What makes the grass grow? Blood, 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 blood makes blood, the grass grow. Blood. Right. And so we're getting ready to go through where they actually take the rubber ducky away and they give you the real M16 with the real knife to stick the little uh, dummy uh, in the, the, the tires, the bayonet course. And the drill sergeants, we still have the rubber duckies from training. We're turning it in. And the drill sergeant's walking around. With uh, with an actual um, bayonet and a rifle, and he's like basically beating the crap out of Joe's along the way because they weren't ready. Because you know situational <laughs> awareness is key, right? And he was yeah, going to use that as the excuse to beat the crap out of us. Let's just say my boot camp was a little more hands on than most. Uh, well, then than it is now, not than most. Um, no, I, that's how it was. But we all swore that we were never going to speak about that again. Right. Well, like I went through. I was the special kid when I went through boot camp. The um the guy that did the map station was not the most uh, visually um, astute. So he um, to say the scale that I stepped in didn't reflect what I actually weighed. So I got to boot camp as the fat body. They could have in all right sent me home. They could have sent me do. home, but I became the project. They were actually about to medically say, hit the fat camp. You're, you're not ready to start. But I did pass the starting PT test. So my drill sergeant happened to be walking through the uh, 30th AG that day where you end process people. And he's like, no, Hanley's mine. We've got this. And I became his project. So I was road guard for all the entirety of OSA. Oh, so yeah. when we were formation, I would run to the front, stand road guard. And then, I mean, I, I ran everywhere. I lost so much weight. My mom didn't recognize me. She had to look for white guys with glasses and then narrow it down by squad. I was uh, 22. I also gained three inches at boot camp. I got I gained some height too. Oh, well, that, that probably helped you out quite a bit too. Um, yeah, the, the supply did not like me very much. I, I was the road guard. I was in running group three. Yes. Because um, my first run score on the PT test was like 22 minutes. I didn't run very much. I lifted weights, you know, and I did short intervals. I played football as a running back, you know, so I was heavy and I was fast. Sprints are sure. not the same thing as running miles. Oh, absolutely not. So I had to become a long distance runner and I'll finish the story and then we can get into the actual topic for the day. Um, so they made me the road guard and I puked every day for like three weeks until my body acclimated and I started getting faster. And then I moved up to yeah. two and then they put me in group one. And I'm like, I don't like this because these guys are super fast. These guys are running like five minute miles and shit. So I'm like, yeah, Part Kenyan on their mother's side. Oh, <laughs> Some of those like marathon runners. I don't know how they oh. do it. I'm like, they're not human. They're like, I, I, yeah, I don't get it. Genetic it's, mutants. It's, of awesomeness, you know. But, they, um, these are the guys that became like star majors because they'd run like five miles and then light up a Marlboro afterwards. You know. Yes. 
And then when they're not running, they walk as sort of like a waddle because their hips are kind of broken and their knees don't work yeah, right. Yeah, the, jo the joints are a little offset. They creak a little bit when they move. Uh, but so I was the road guard. I did lots and lots of running. And then I failed my last PT test by the run. I missed the run by, I think, 35 seconds or so, less than a minute. Uh, and so they give you one more shot, right, the next day. Yeah. And then if you fail that, you go to hog jog until you can pass the PT test. And you have to stand road guard at your own graduation that would have been yours. And yeah. I can't imagine how much that would have sucked. But they liked me because I'd made so much of an effort. Like, that yeah. doesn't mean they were nice to me. They just liked me. No. Uh, and so he ran behind me with a rubber ducky. And every time I slowed down, I got a butt stroke to the back. My back was black and blue, but I finished with two minutes to spare. Oof, good job. And I ran into that guy again in, in uh, um, when I was in Iraq. He's like, holy sh crap, Hanley, they made you a sergeant? And I'm like, <laughs> I outran the rubber ducky. <laughs> it worked. That's all but uh, he actually presented me uh, um, a K-Bar as my graduation gift. He didn't get anybody else anything, but he bought me a K-Bar for making it. So I was that was kind of moving. Uh, only thing that sucks is that got robbed when my apartment in Philly was robbed. But Ooh. the uh, so I said all that because we got sidetracked by army stories, which is cool. I like doing that with you because um, you and I have history in the army. We've talked about that we before do, already. And it's inspired my entire body of work. But um, so it, it, in a nutshell, his Ranger sniper team, when we were uh, in, in a bad way, was the one that came to get us because army helicopters wouldn't shoot at the bad guys. I'm told not all not all helicopter pilots are, are weenies like that, but these ones were weenies. Uh, but anyway, so James and I were working on this series where basically um, they find the second Valley of Kings. We suspect as a historians that it exists. So it's not because uh, we've got a lot of named and famous uh, pharaohs and pharaoh pharaohs. What is the uh, female pharaoh called? Is she just a pharaoh? Emperor? I don't know. Uh, um, actually, I, I mean, I could throw out some BS real quick, but I'm you can't dazzle them with brilliance, baffle them with BS. Baffle them with bullshit. The NCO, unofficial NCO creed. Yeah, um, it's written on the back, actually. It's written on the back. That's right. That's right. When they, when right. they give you that certificate. After right. It's right next to the patch uh, for all of those that guys that did uh, mounted ops in Iraq. It's the drive it like you stole it. Yep. And there's um, a whole list of them in there. It's kind of like uh, National Murphy's Law. It's unofficial. You got you got to take the the lemon juice and then put heat to it to see the word. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa! That's classified, Sergeant. We're gonna have to. Oh well, you you ended up as an officer, so sir, that's classified. We're gonna have to edit that out. Oh, I'm. I, CIA yeah. doesn't like it when we give out their secrets. Yeah, I mean that's that's trade craft from the from the early or the late 1700s. I mean. Ben Franklin yeah, uh, created that. No, no joke. Uh, Nick and I have been around Army so long that we actually taught Baron von Steuben how to do that crap, and then we taught him how to teach other people. True story. Um, and then I had to go forward in time to serve in Iraq. It's true. It's true. <laughs> but so James and I basically posited that they, if they found another one, what would happen? Well, we know if they found another one, we'd put guards on it because Egypt is extremely serious, given their history, about protecting their cultural historical icons. And so from there, we figured out what units actually operate in there. So Australians do all the time uh, and Americans for reasons that are explained in the first chapter of the book. And then they get sucked into fantasy Egypt. But as part of that, um, we started with Iraq or with the, the military in 2004, because that's what I knew. And I was actually surprised it worked really, really well because there were actually terrorist attacks happening in Egypt at the time we were in Iraq. America and the world was just so preoccupied with the shock and awe campaign at the time that it got missed. 
Yeah, the Sinai yeah, Peninsula just, was getting hit pretty dang hard, um, and it even ventured west as far as Cairo, and uh, the names are escaping me, but yeah, um, the focus was on that part of the Middle East and not in Africa, so a lot of the uh, the terrorist groups, they start, you know, funneling down. Um, obviously, they by, bypassed Israel. <laughs> to get through the Tabi checkpoint into the Sinai Peninsula, into Egypt proper. So yeah, everything is historically accurate, even with the time frame. But, uh, but so anyway, so as part of that, I wrote what I know. James and I are on book two of that. Book one literally is just waiting on the edits. Well, we're 20 minutes in and we're just now talking about what we've been working on. But it's been a fun sidetrack. So we think you're going to dig it, dear listener, uh, dear viewer. And so uh, we st we're on book two. I think we're about 30, 40,000 words in. I'd have to check. Uh, it's hard because James is working on how do I put this politically he's screw politically correct. He's an old soul. And so he uses windows nine and word 97. So I have to convert back and forth and then like, it makes the editing process a little complicated. So I'm operating off of nine different documents that in the end we put together. So sometimes it's hard to track what actual word count I'm on, but uh, yeah, he's working with the technology that he knows. I mean, luckily with the Word 365 subscription, like I can manage because it can yeah, go back and yeah. forth, but it can be a little bit confusing if, if uh, you didn't have tech-friendly tech people in your family to help fix the inevitable glitches that come along with that back and forth. Right. But so we're working on that and we hired you to do some of that art because it's going to go in the back. And then we're thinking and once we... It's going to be awesome. We figured, so it's going to be like... If you watch sliders, you know, where they'd hop dimensions, we're going to have them hop Pantheon. So they start off in Egypt. James wants to go to Greece next. I was thinking the, the Vikings would be kind of cool. Uh, the Ooh, Norse gods. Um, so, you know, we just got to look at the map of the globe and see what makes sense. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so as part of that, we're like, we figure every time we finish a Pantheon in a region, we'll like bundle all those um, game stats and we can upload those to like drive through RPG and whatnot as well. But uh, as part of that, we wanted art for all of it. So we hired you, which is going to be exciting. I'm kind of stoked. If you find um, your way into like the Hindu pantheon, that'd be awesome because they got some sweet gods. Well, they were leaving Egypt. You know, it's possible we could go the way of Alexander the Great and go that route. I mean, the Macedonians had some interesting some interesting stuff too. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm leaning heavily into, into – um, James's knowledge here, because like I said, he wrote the literal book on the gods and the demigods. Right. Uh, my my history knowledge, I studied colonial American history, uh, and not because I well, I mean, I love America, but it wasn't because of that. Uh, my my bachelor's degree was in ancient and medieval, um, which is a very wide area. To go farther on that at the master's and doctorate level, you have to speak the foreign language of wherever you're studying, and I'm not so good at the languages. I was infantry for a reason. And so they're like, well, if you major in American history, all you got to do is speak English. Like, I think I can handle Nailed that. Nailed it. Nailed it. I've been preparing my whole life for this. I took Just Spanish Russia. in high school. I'm in. I took Spanish in high school and I couldn't roll my R's. So they sent me over to the German language department after two years. German is easy to say because you just got to sound like you're about to spit on someone and you're very angry and you can uh, sound German. But you still got to roll the R's for part of that. I just, I just, yeah. languages aren't my thing, man. So uh, anyway, so I studied colonial American. So like this is all outside of, you know, my expertise. Nailed so, it. It's fun though. So that's what we're working on. Uh, hopefully we'll have that to you soon. I'm hoping book two and into book three and have book three done 
this calendar year. Uh, picking up the word counts, I had to uh, adjust some medicines and deal with the the head injury. Um, unfortunately, one of the medicines that I was taking is post Rona world uh, ceased to be available. Um, just you know, this is what we found out when one uh, region has all of your manufacturing. Bad things can happen when bottlenecks happen, and a lot of yeah. industries found that out. That the what do you call it? it's not parts delivered quickly, um, just in time supply chains. We found out exactly how flawed that is. And so the new medicine they put me on was causing all kinds of brain fog. And I'm finally can think. Um, you were actually right when you told me that I can get around that just exercising more because uh, you can clear the brain fog that way too. And it's been working. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm actually at my smallest I've been since 2018. So that was exciting. I had my first piece of cake in a year because it was my celebration. And now my next celebration, I got to lose 20 more pounds to get under 300. Um, right. But uh, but yeah, it's it's weird what happens when you yeah. when you start hitting the gym again. I had yep. to do it like because they kept us in the uh, anybody that had convoy escorts that had the track record my unit had was considered mission essential. So they gave us cortisol shots in the knees to keep us in the field because we got banged up every time you rammed yeah. a vehicle off the road. Who knew car accidents were bad for your health too? Right next to the bombs. <laughs> that did go on the recruiting post, Nick. I don't know what they were thinking. Iraq I was bad for your health. Yeah, Iraq was bad for your health. And then you get the the letters from the VA. It's like, you might have breathed in toxic slugs. Come talk to us. Oh, like, okay. Just what I mean. about it. I absolutely did. I put it on my, uh, my VA claim. Yeah, have you ever looked at your, like, Kleenex after you, like, it's, like, black and moldy? I'm like, eh, I just don't want to think about it. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm sure I got stuff in my lungs from, like, 2004. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, that's trying to work its way out. So uh, the health is on the men, so I'm, I'm sort of ecstatic. I'm getting my word counts to where they – I haven't had them since I first started. Uh, James and I are motivated. He's been fighting through his own health issues. Uh, when you live to be 157, I mean, you know, it, it takes a toll on your body. It takes a toll. Um, Ask Yoda. Uh, I mean, that's yeah, I mean, just – well, you know, he actually aged very well. Oh, yeah. But, but, uh, I but so I understand why he just laid down and died because some kid was asking him a bunch of questions. Like, are we there yet over and over again? Like, I'm sorry, uh, Luke was a little bit of a jerk. He I needed thought, to be bitch slapped. I, I, I'm sorry. I try not to not, cuss on this show. Not my but, favorite character in the uh, Star Wars universe. I just like reading about the everyday. Like, the, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the everyman. So I like reading about, like, the Stormtroopers. There were a couple fan-made films uh, about that. They took the, the old Civil War trope, brother versus brother. And this yeah. one guy, it was a fan, like his girlfriend joined the rebellion and he's a stormtrooper. Right. And uh, they both end up dying in the same battle, not realizing it. And this fan, uh, Lucas Arts made him take it down. But uh, I like that every man story because you know, it could be you, right? Like, I love that. Uh, well, I mean, I'm a huge Wedge and Tilly's fan. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, all the Rogue Squadron books. I was a huge fan of those. And you know who you know who my favorite character is? Given that I ballooned up after I got hurt and all the cortisone they gave me, are you going to guess who my favorite character was? A Gamorrean guard? Porkins. Oh, fucking. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I can hold it. Oh, yeah, that he, guy. He, he did not hold it. But No, he, put, he did not. I think they he put went out like Rogue a champ. Squadron. No, but he had a good victory. I think they put him in Rogue Squadron, and he and, well, obviously he lived in. Um, no, I'm sorry, Rogue One, when they yeah. attacked uh, Scarif. Why do I? Know I'm that? just that hit me in the feels, like you know, 
I'm a recovering fatty, so but uh, it, it hurt my fat, large little soul to see that oh, poor guy me. go out. It hurt me about but, three years ago when I when I put on a lot of weight and I start growing a beard and I'm like, oh my god, I'm Porkins. <laughs> yeah, they actually uh, some of the fans of mine took the road that took that image with him and they put an avatar of me on this face of, of Porkins and I'm like, ooh, message received, people, message received. Um, so anyway, but uh, you know we're a half hour in. And uh, we need to get on topic. So before we do that, we're going to go ahead and just play the sponsor, which uh, we appreciate you sponsoring us. But I'm going to show the commercial. And then because it's very visual heavy, when it's done, for those that are listening only, can you give us the uh, the rundown about this Solarian Prime? Are you showing the uh, the trailer, the video? Yeah, it's a, the minute video you gave us. Oh, yeah. Um, it's going to give you a, a once-over. Well, hold on. We're going to show it to him, and then we'll talk about okay. it. Okay. I'll talk about it afterwards. All right. Roll that clip. <laughs> All right, so before we, before you explain, I got to say, I don't know who your artist is that drew all those amazing pictures, but you need to give him or her a raise. I did. I did. It's Tony Good. Persona. Uh, he's an artist out of Brazil. Him and his wife are a, a penciler inking duo. Um, I, I did definitely give gave him a raise, and I'm giving them um, royalties off off the books too so it was in their contract um i'm a big fan and believer in artist artist rights and artist credit um since he did the first issue he is just like jack kirby or um steve ditko any of the guys that you know put their their original creative input into the comic book and how they interact and how they look and how they move you know based on their artistry you know, they definitely get a raise out of that because I, and it only took about three pages that he turned in. I was like, yeah, I know your rate is this, but I'm going to pay you this. Is that cool? And he's like, more money? Absolutely. Just like any other person. Yeah. So, all right. So now that we talked about the art a little bit, for those that are listening and not watching, because they just heard amazing music and they didn't get to see your art. Can you Go tell to- us like the commercial about Solarian Prime? And we'll link to it in the show notes, dear listener. Um, but can you can you tell us you know the the elevator pitch of Solarian Prime before we dive into the topic? Uh, so Solarian Prime, the elevator pitch for that is a young man that is blessed with cosmic gifts and has found understanding of the universe and wants to um, inject himself into uh, protecting said universe. Also, 
he would like to find his father that disappeared during a NASA explosion when the accident that happened that created his powers or gave him his powers. So for those of you that are um, that are listening, yeah, they're all visual only. We actually did an interview, uh, I want to say season two back in October about Solarian Prime. So I will find that YouTube link um, and the podcast link. And I will go ahead and share those as part of the show notes. So you can go back and listen to that episode if this uh, this intrigues you, if you're really digging comics or, you know, you're a fan of Nick's and Apogee comics. Like, I think, you know, we want to support that. The, um, the comic book industry, and we won't go political, but they got bogged down in trying to talk about the world as it is now in their left or right political ideology. And they forgot the rule of cool and that, you know, nothing matters if the story sucks. And so they lost their way. And then they, they lost against, they started losing the competition against manga and anime and it could be turned around. What's that guy that did the comics that made a million. He's a friend of yours. Oh, Eric Um, July. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Um, he proved that the audience is there. If you just, you know, you don't, you don't pander. And he made $3 million. Um, really, the whole point is, especially for Apogee and a lot of these other independent creators, is uh, make entertaining stories. Um, if you have any political leanings, they should be subtext, not rammed down your throat. So it should just be a dash of what social commentary you're trying to make. It shouldn't be the main thing. The character-driven stories are always the ones that are going to sell. Why do I care about this guy? Why do we care about Wolverine? Why do we care about Cyclops? Why do we care about Batman? Why, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, we all know why we care about some of these characters. And, you know, and I think that's something that a lot of storytellers in the industry are missing is that we don't care anymore why this character is going through this. You know, it, they, they don't give us enough information or enough story to care. And that's something that a lot of us independent creators, which outside of manga, we're the ones that are crushing um, the mainstream comics, the big two, you know, because we're we're giving stories of heart. And so it's they're interesting stories that, you know, involve all of us. And one of the things that we'll say when we're because we stay apolitical on purpose, um, because I don't care if you're, you know, commie on the left side or whatever the right version of that is, I don't know weirdo I, I don't know i don't know what they call everybody on the right now could also be a left-leaning ideology so I, oh, anyway uh geopolitics aside like even when i agree with you if you get preachy like i love like i'm, I'm a libertarian i've anybody who's listened to me talk kind of gain that um kind of laissez-faire approach to things so when sort of truth by terry goodkin like he was speaking an ideology that resonated when he got too preachy towards the end of that series even though I agreed with them, I stopped reading because as I like to tell people, if I wanted to be preached at, I'd go to church. I read books to escape and enjoy. Uh, and that's as close to politics as we'll get. And I will say the reason I mentioned that is comics have realized that too. A lot of the independent creators, which is why they're independent. And they say, you know, if we don't preach at people and we just tell fun stories, we can revitalize the dying industry and compete against the manga. Yeah, I've I've turned down jobs with DC and Marvel just based on the uh, the writing team that they wanted to attach my artwork to, and I was like, mm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But uh, I will work for Independence every day of the week and twice on Sunday because they have stories to tell, and they're not preachy. They're not ramming left or right. They're not ramming their political ideologies down your throat. They just want to make a good story. 
you know, action-packed. You care about the character. What, whether he lives or dies, the the villains are awesome. You know, and that's, that's the good thing great. about story. If you have like you and I could read the exact same. So we were talking about this in the pre-show with you and your buddy uh, analyzing movies. You and I yeah. could watch the same movie and read or read the same book, and you and I could come away with it. Totally different interpretations Completely because different take because the reader, the consumer, they bring themselves and their own baggage with them when they read, when they consume, and that flavors things, right? And so, you know, um, someone that comes at Star Wars, for instance, with you know parental abuse issues, they might side with Leia and Luke because Darth Vader was a jerk to them. Uh, someone that um, has seen you know, anarchy run amok, they might sympathize a little bit with the uh, the Empire just wanting to make sure the trains are on time and that the, you know, good order and discipline, you know, spreads right. the universe. I say that flippantly, but, but your baggage affects how you sort of interact with them, right? Well, I mean, uh, if we're talking about Star Wars, there's a reason why the 501st Legion is more popular than the Rebel Legion because everybody wants to be the bad guy. Everybody wants to dress as... Star but were they the bad guy? Know. Were they, Nick? It, it depends on your point of view, just like Obi-Wan said, from a certain perspective, from a certain point of view, you know. So we're, we're seeing the whole Star Wars saga through the eyes of the Rebellion. Of course, they're going to see everybody. And I'm just saying, like, any 12, you know, any like one chump jump, like one tour grunt could have planned a better battle than some of what we saw. Like, Hoff, come on now. Oh, dude. That was Toro from the floor up. They, they needed better. Better NCOs. All I'm saying. Yeah, in the future, the NCOs suck. Artillery for the Empire. I mean, oh my God. So, like, from a first time I saw Star Wars, I I liked stormtroopers. I thought they were cool as hell. You know, yeah, they couldn't Me shoot. And they bumped their helmets, you know, on doorways and stuff. But I thought they were the coolest looking characters. You know, and I felt like I got peer pressured into liking, you know, the Rebellion and and Luke and Han. Don't get me wrong, Han's cool as hell. But, you know, because he was the ladies' man. He was the smuggler. He was the scoundrel. He was the gunfighter. You know, he had he had the most witty banter of, of everybody, you know. And Luke was just a whiny little girl, you know, throughout most of it. Um, yeah, you know, so, like, I like the stormtroopers. I, I like the bad guys. I like the villains. I thought they were more intriguing than the heroes. I, I think so, too. But that's just a sign that the universe initially was – was in depth, it was rich and vibrant, which is what you're looking for. So, speaking mm -hmm. of rich and vibrant, that changed and evolved as new creators came in. So, the first problem with Star Wars, and we'll use that to transition to the actual topic. The first problem with Star Wars is everyone wanted to that dealt with the world, the added content. They wanted to write about Han and Leia and Luke and Darth and right. and, and the big ones, right? And mm -hmm. so, when George Lucas got the proposal, he never met one he didn't like, and he said yes to all of them. And if you understood the universe, you started rules learning it and realized he was in Hoth on Monday and Tantooine on Tuesday, and it takes 12 days or whatever it is. I'm pulling this out of my backside. Uh, it takes 12 days to get there. There's just no way that these stories line up because he couldn't be here and then here by this day, right? And yeah, so because about of splinters that, of the mind eye. Yeah. So yeah. there's the issue becomes continuity. Yeah. And so uh you know the the universe had to evolve when disney bought it because they couldn't keep everything like we can argue till the cows come home you and i both have opinions on how they handled it when they got it but they couldn't keep everything because it you know it just didn't line up 
you know, chronologically of from a historical canon perspective. So oh, don't even get me started on that stuff. But the because... change, the change is what's important because yeah. one thing that happens to every universe in every medium is you have to adapt or you die, right? Stagnation is death. And so yep. one of the things that you wanted to talk about today, because you're pretty passionate about, is how comic books have realized and, and superheroes have realized that they're not getting a lot of little kids right now. So they've evolved their their way they tell stories to appeal to a more mature audience, hoping on the back end, I'm sure that they can, you know, catch the kids, you know, the younger generation and pull them along too. So when you mentioned that as a topic, like what, like what, what are your thoughts on how that happened and, and what we're seeing? And we'll sort of go from there. Um, I think it probably stems from the, the growth of the young comic book reader back in the day. Okay. So, a little quick history of comic books. Um, soldiers used to read them during World War II. They were considered disposable entertainment. Um, and you had a, a, a myriad of, of genres from Western to the, the superheroes that we know now, like Flash, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern. Original Green Lantern was Alan Scott. Um, and it was magic-based, but we won't get into that. you know. Um, but it was entertaining. And it was it was something that just... You know, it was quick entertainment. It was like a lot of the TV that we watch today was, you know, something that could just be entertained for a short amount of time and disconnect from what's happening in your reality and just kind of get involved with uh, these heroes, these stories. All right. So we move on and then we get into Batman 66, which is the campy Batman, Alan West, Burt Ward. Um, if you've never watched it, uh, you've lived under a rock Go check them out there. They're actually, they're entertaining in a, uh, a very whimsical sense. Um, um, but as, I guess as society grew darker, I wouldn't say darker, but definitely got more serious. The comic books got more serious. We started getting guys like Neil Adams drawing Batman, uh, who's a legend. And uh, he he wanted, because one of the nicknames for the Batman is the Dark Knight. So he, wanted, he focused more on that. Um, so we've got this darker hero, this, you know, this Avenger type guy, you know, this vigilante really just kind of like got into the, the street level um, in, in the dirt, in the mud, in the sewage, or if you will, you know, and fighting crime. And then we get into the 80s. We, we get into Reagan and the 80s and all that political arena and our Cold War with the Russians and you know, organized crime, and just so much going on. I grew up through this stuff, same as you, JR. You know, so like it seemed every time you turn on the news, there was something violent going on, you know. So our heroes evolved. Those stories evolved inside the comic books. and But they still kept it kid-friendly, you know. But as you grew up through that, like I'm getting ready to turn 45, and I've watched, not only did I grow up with these heroes, but these heroes grew up with me. They matured. They, they, you got a little bit more in depth into their psyche, into their animus, and who they are, and what makes them tick. Um, one of the greatest Batman stories I ever read was The Court of Owls, written by Scott Snyder and drawn by Greg Capullo. Um, it really kind of goes into the psychological trauma of Bruce Wayne slash Batman. Um, that's awesome. Frank Miller, who you know through Three Hundred, uh, the movie Three Hundred and the comic book 300 he he used to do daredevil and he did a, a an art called the man without fear which was like the sub 
title of Daredevil. Every Daredevil comes to be Daredevil, man without fear, you know. Um, but he got into the more grittier um, storytelling with Matt Murdock and uh, Foggy and um, Karen, you know. Uh, he brought in a lot of mature themes, but it was still kid-friendly. It was just enough, you know. So, like, what the publishers started realizing is that we created this audience back in the day and they're growing and they're still into this hobby. So we needed to put a little bit of everything for young readers, new readers that we want to bring in. And we also have to throw some stuff in for the older readers, you know, that just never went away. And we're not going to go away because we love this, uh, this medium. We love the artwork and the, and the artwork progressed. Like if you look at something drawn in 1938, like Batman era, you know, compared to what we're dealing with now, the detail has gotten amazingly better. It's the, there's darkness, there's greatness. You feel that you're there. Like you can almost smell the dumpster in the alleyway, you know, it's amazing stuff. And you, you can think that you, you can think Todd McFarlane, Rob Liefeld, Jim Lee, um, Steve Ditko. I mean, there's a, there's a list of legends that you can think for, why we appreciate this art form the way that we do um and then then we start getting into live action stuff right tv shows movies um batman 89 batman 88 um with uh michael keaton you know we took the gray suited gray and blue suit batman and we put them all in black and we put him in this crime-ridden dripping dirty nasty gotham city and it was just amazing. I remember as a little kid, I rode my bike over there to the McHenry 10 movie theater. And I waited in a line that wrapped around the damn building almost twice to see Batman, to see Michael Keaton as Batman. And I was just amazed for like one hour and 39 minutes of how cool this was. And I saw it like three or four times over the summer, maybe more. You know, I was like, but I didn't understand at the time. But when I rewatch it now, I was like, man, they're really trying to bridge that gap between newer readers, newer fans, and the older fans. So there was a little bit of everything for everybody, which was great. And then we get to where we are now with like uh, DC's Titans on HBO Max. It got super gritty, got super mature. It's definitely not a show for kids. I mean, the very first episode, you got Dick Grayson the lifelong sidekick as Robin to Bruce Wayne, the Batman, you know, he, he broke off. He's, he's tired of Batman's BS. He becomes a cop and, you know, a civilian side, his, uh, his daytime job. And then at night he's out beating up criminals that got away as Robin, you know, and they're like, Oh, Robin, you venturing out without Batman. And the, the very last thing that he says of that first episode is F Batman. You're like, oh, what the hell? So, and it's it started with the comic back or the with the cartoon back in the day, Teen Titans, Teen which Titans, was just yeah. which was campy. This took it a more mature turn, but you missed something in the evolution of storytelling in the form of comics and and just entertainment in general. It used to be more episodic, where at the end of the day, all of the characters reset. And so there was no actual progression of growth through the plot. Part of that was because of how syndication worked back in the day. You, you couldn't guarantee that I'm going to be able to buy episode one through 29 in the comics 
or that I'm going to watch episode one through 29 on the television because you couldn't watch the reruns. You would have to wait. Uh, if you missed an episode, I mean, you you better wait till the, the off season to get a chance to watch that one episode you missed again. And so right. if they had it where episode three doesn't make sense, if you didn't watch episode two, then you would lose audience members because people couldn't DVR stuff back in the day. Do they even DVR it now or you just watch it on demand? I don't know. It's usually it's on demand or streaming, um, which is really good that you brought that up. Um, the what they called the uh, the mega series or the multi series. So it's a series within a series. This started out in the comic books. Uh, DC, I think, is the first one to do it with Crisis on Infinite Worlds. Um, DC had a big problem back in the 80s because um, when they were creating characters since the 30s, each one of those heroes lived in their own universe. Like, So if you were Green Lantern, you had no idea about Batman, Superman, The Flash, Martian Manhunter, etc., right? And then as they progressed, they started throwing other heroes in there and now we have multiple heroes and multiple universes and they just couldn't it, it got they couldn't manage it anymore they're like okay which superman is this earth one or two or three or 37 or 236 they had no clue because they've written so many stories over multiple decades with these different heroes existing in different heroes properties right i feel like i need like a a diagram to like i'd look like charlie day from like it's always sunny trying to explain stuff with the strings all over that's how it would be trying to explain the the dc universe when they created crisis on different earths and the whole point of that was to merge all these heroes into a universe Whew. felt like it just ran three miles anyway so we do yeah, all that so and that be that became the basis for that got drawn upon for the the TV and the movies that we're seeing now. They they use that as a framework, um, you know. So you have to create these things. So back in the day when you would watch a movie or you'd watch a television series that was superhero based, it would be all tied up in a nice little bow at the end of each episode, so it could be a standalone. It never built to a bigger story, right? Is that the, I'm pretty sure that was the point you were making. Yeah. It never built to a bigger story. In the comics in the 80s when Crisis came out, that was the first time we've ever seen anything like that. You'd get like a three or four issue arc that would continue a story, but it was nothing that added to the continuum, to the canon, pushing it forward. So these are now the rules that we got to follow because this is canon. This has to exist in future episodes. And then when they get to a point where they've painted themselves into a corner, that's where they're like, all right, we need another event. So you'd have another crisis or uh, Marvel would have another Secret Wars or uh, whatever big event that they would name um, to try and contain the continuity so they could not have such a confusing canon to, to progress from. But the uh, but so it's part of that maturity, though, it wasn't just that they evolved is in the, the, the medium, the genre matured, the, the way they told the stories started hitting the more mature audience, like you said. So I remember if you grew up with the Batman from, was it the seventies where they, for the, the, the fight scenes, they would do the iconic pow and the, the pow. And, and the, yeah. That and was Batman the, 66. Yeah. Yeah. You'd see the, you'd see the, uh, the graphic appear over the guy's face. So you didn't actually see the guy getting his block cleaned. 
because you know they were trying to keep it family friendly to we talked about this when we started this episode or we started the idea for this episode because i had i had gotten hbo plus or max or whatever it is and i found teen titan or no titans which was a shoot offshoot or retelling i guess of the teen titan comic or cartoon and yeah. i was like man this is actually really good i might re- i might not cancel hbo just to watch this and you're like no, no no wait till season four it keeps getting better um, and so as I'm watching this, it's so dark. I'm like, my son likes comics. I could bond with him. And I was telling you about that. And you're like, oh, no, you don't want to watch this with your son. Cause you and I, I was like, yeah, about talk. this, uh, it's so you and I talk and you know, you know, the situation with my kid yeah. with his special needs. Uh, right. and, and I avoid that on the show because, because of his issues and his safety. But, but so because you're aware, you're like, he, he likes comics, but this is not the comic related stuff for him. And so I'm watching this and I'm like, holy crap, this is grimdark. It's good, but it's grimdark. I mean, the, the lighting and everything is so grimdark that oh, you it's can't so watch. Gritty. It's so you have gritty to watch it in a dark room yeah. just to catch all the nuance because it's such a, a dark like film set, right? Like it's got the dark, like if you're watching that in a bright room, you're gonna miss stuff that's happening in the shadow, right? That if, right, if, if you're in a dark room, you're catching. And so I thought that was an interesting choice to evolve in that way as well, because it's not just that they're growing up and evolving. The content is becoming more uh, mature in the, I wouldn't let my five-year-old or 10-year-old or 15-year-old watch it. Yeah, this is the, that show is um, definitely geared towards the, uh, the more mature viewer and the more mature comic book fan, you know, the, uh, the adult fan. You know, who wants to, because if these heroes were to exist in the real world, they're going to swear. It's going to be violent because it was toned down for us in the comic books. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of blood. We had the uh, comic code for, holy hell, 40 years, 50 years, you know, until we decided not to uh, abide by that anymore. So, you know, we, we knew these heroes were violent heroes especially the street level ones like batman and and robin they were punching the hell out of bad guys you know but they had they one flaw the hell out of guys in the beginning the flaw was always they were so unwilling to kill at the end that they faced the same guy over and over again now part of that was because every episode reset but it became part of their thing like it almost to the point where it bit them in the butt as the series matured because they kept that part Absolutely. of their character and they said okay uh, if I let all the bad guys go and I just keep sending them into the legal system, which in Gotham is corrupt as hell, um, right. spoiler, I guess, um, what's the result of that? And the result was because of the universe, the laws they built around it, they did keep facing the same guys because the system was so revoking that you had the revolving door of injustice, I guess. And so they covered some of that and they showed what that looked like because – uh, one of the the bad guys they face. Who was the guy that was the the soldier of, who became a killer assassin? I'm drawing a blank. He was one of the um, main bad guys in season one. Um, Death Note, maybe is that right? No, no. no quit, quit talking. <laughs> you you're screwing me up. Um, oh, you got to be kidding me. Um, why can I? I've been drinking, so that's probably why I can't remember right now. But uh, uh, I am uh, going to look it up and see on Google if I can find it. Deathstroke. Deathstroke. There we go. 
the other one was Trigon, was the other bad guy, which was yeah, well that, done. That, oh, it's definitely a, a Raven villain. Um, and you, God, I've, I've fought all these guys in the DC universe online. If you've never played that game, go check it out. It's pretty awesome. Um, you get to be a superhero in that world, and you get to fight Trigon. You get to fight Deathstroke. You get to fight the Joker. You get to fight, you know, all these this pantheon of val- villains. You know, it's super awesome. Um, yeah, Deathstroke's awesome. Um, huge fan. Uh, the guest I was trying to get on here, Ray Merrick, he's a huge Deathstroke fan. Um, his knowledge outshines my knowledge on Deathstroke, uh, which is hard to do. But, uh, yeah, but Death- so- Deathstroke was definitely the more interesting villain. I think he was season two. But, I mean, they got into some of the dark stuff, like his feud with his kids. And I don't really want to say more than that because, one, I don't want to do spoilers. And, two, uh, you and I have both talked about, like you said you would want to watch season one again because we talked about actually doing a dedicated review episode about Teen Titan, Or I keep saying yeah. Teen Titans, about the Titan show. Titan and I show, think, yeah. yeah, I think doing that uh, takes more than two of us. I think, you know, those do better when you have three or four guests that watched it too. Because then right. you can bounce back of each other. They might catch something we missed, and vice versa. Um, so I think I think that you know we don't want to dive in too deep, but I will say that the darkness of it fit with the overall themes. Are there yeah. other shows than just Titans where you see some of that darkness creeping in, some of that oh. grim dark reality? Yeah, um, the the Marvel Netflix shows: uh, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, uh, Luke Cage. Those dealt with the uh the what well, I, I keep calling it the street level hero um these aren't guys that are fighting galactus they're not fighting um these cosmic level you know they're on the street you know they're doing the street level stuff they're taking out drug lords they're taking out you know arms dealers they're 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 taking out robbers and thieves and things like that they're they're the grittiest ones you know there's the ones that have the most blood and it never appeared in the comic book. So when they made these shows, um, you got to see the uh, the savagery and the brutality of what it's like to be a street level hero. So take Daredevil for instance; he's my all time favorite hero. Um, you know, so he's dealing with his um, religion. He, he, Matt Murdock is is Catholic. You know, so and I'm also a Catholic. Hopefully, that doesn't turn any viewers away, but. Um, you know, there's a lot of rules. There's a lot of a lot of codes and and uh, ceremony and Catholicism. You know, so he was dealing with a lot of internal turmoil and doing what he does as Daredevil, and how it affects his life as Matt Murdock and Matt Murdock as a lawyer. So he's dealing out justice in different ways. You know, and there's a lot of interesting dichotomy going on inside that series, you know, and how he fights himself. He's not only is it man versus, you know, criminality and systems and things like that, but it's also man versus self, which is also a very interesting tale because he's constantly in turmoil and dealing with this inner battle between his life as a lawyer and his friendships and relationships outside of wearing the red suit. And then what he's focused on while he's wearing the suit being daredevil. So I think I think that's a really gritty show. Uh, it, it's definitely one of my favorites. I'd say Luke Cage is my second favorite. Jessica Jones is kind of a slow burn. It's more of a detective story, um, but it also deals with the grittiness and maturity and the reality of living in that world and dealing with it, even though you have superpowers. Um, 
Another good one is The Boys. The Boys is an amazing show um, where it deals mainly with superheroes not acting like how you would think a superhero superhero would work, you know, and then like who controls these guys? You know, you got guys that are basically God. So you have these, uh, you know, dark side versions of Superman and Wonder Woman and Batman and the Flash and things like that. And, you know, in that reality, they're complete a-holes, you know, they don't care. You know, they're, they use their gifts to make money and do endorsements and make movies and things like that. And they have zero compassion empathy for the common man they help because it's a pr stunt you know they help because it makes them look good which helps them sell more products helps them get more money um you know so there's a lot of shows out there that deal with the darkness of the superhero reality um take for instance watchmen directed by Zack snyder um that is a that that is based on the comic book that made me realize that there was another level to the comic book medium you know uh your superheroes aren't always good guys you know what i mean you know some of these guys are yeah. complete creeps the uh titans had that character robin or no uh dove and hawk something hawk and dove yeah yeah those were a perfect example of like what that looks like for someone not like who doesn't have superpowers you know what i mean like yeah they were uh, just average hank, guys hank was like addicted to drugs, you know, painkillers. Yeah. You know, um, um, and so like, I get, I get that. And then you saw that, um, the darkness, for instance, this isn't really a comic book, but it, it's sort of on the same par. But like, if you watch the, uh, supernatural where the yeah. angels and the demons and the angels were jerks too. Like, I mean, yeah. When they make the devil sympathetic, no, I don't know how that was received at the time. I'd be curious to talk to people that are devoutly religious and see what they thought at the time the show was coming I, out. Or how I, that it portrayed. definitely made me question a lot of things. Um, the uh, the guys that did um, Clerks, uh, they did the one about the religion. Um, I'm trying to blank on the name of it. Dogma. Um, dogma, yeah. I mean, you can yeah. make people think. And that's where if you put the politics aside and you stop trying to preach at people and you just have – deep thoughtful conversations i mean you can change the world you can you know? absolutely um uh, this is um and this is where conversations matter if you can get past the um the the knee jerk i'm on side a so side b is the bad guy um you and i both served in the early war uh so we yeah. were there when they were protesting soldiers coming home when the westboro baptist church was protesting the funerals of the gis right, and it was a right. dark is a dark time for veterans coming home from the war uh yeah. makes me sympathetic to our vietnam brothers who came before Absolutely. us um one of the girls that was raised in that family in the westboro family who ended up like de-radicalizing herself she did it because she was on twitter and someone instead of just yelling at her and calling her names engaged in dialogue with her and that's what yeah. story does it lets people think outside of the the accusatory knee jerk, you're bad, I'm good, join me, because that never works. I mean, how right. often do you you get convinced when someone says you're a moron for not agreeing with me? Like oh, you just dig your right. heels in. That's human nature. And so zero percent chance of stories that are done well make you think, which is why I actually sometimes enjoy stories written by people who I know on a one-on-one -on -one personal level, I disagree with fundamentally their worldview because it's either going to make me think, yeah, okay, I, this is what I agree with and why, or it's going to make you see things from a different 
point of view and maybe you revisit what you really think. And so that's what good stories will do. It makes you think, it makes you question the world, which is where I think sci-fi and fantasy and superheroes can can go places because like outside of the tropes of, you know, race, gender, politics, you can discuss those same ideas by swapping out like uh, Star Trek's famous, the aliens that had one, you know, they, one half of their body was white and one half was black. And on some of them, it was inverted. So left was black and right was white. Yeah, and, and, they hated the, like, each other. and they hated each other. And that, I mean, on its surface, it looks ridiculous because in reality, when that presents, it's ridiculous there too. But you could, in the age of segregation in the 60s, you could talk about those issues because you detached, right? right. And you let people just face the, the base concepts. That's what good fantasy, good superhero stories, good sci-fi does. Well, and I, and I think with a lot of the stories that I that I had mentioned um, previously is that it it is a warning of the dangers of hero worship. You know, you have to understand that these people, even though they have extraordinary powers, they're still at the end of the day human. You know, they have the same problems we do. And I think that's what I love most about a lot of the, uh, the storytelling from the mid eighties up until now is these creators and these writers have really just hammered down. Hey, it's okay to love these guys, but they do some pretty vicious stuff. You know, you, you have to take the hero worship out of it, you know, and think for yourself, you know, um, just because they do great things doesn't mean they're not possibly flawed. bad people. Flawed. Yeah, absolutely. Flawed. Um, and I think, from when Watchmen came out, and I, I don't remember the exact date when uh, um, Moore wrote that. Uh, it was definitely about the flawed superhero. And now we've got all these copycats. The, everything's derivative. I mean, I've seen so many movies and comic books based on a what if Superman went evil, you know, type scenario. Um, it's, it's getting kind of boring now. But the guys that did this back in the day, it was... Like, hey, man, superheroes are flawed, too. You know, and I've and I've carried that into my comic books. Like, yeah, you can look up to them for the deeds that they they're able to achieve. But at the end of the day, they're still just a dude like Bamak has severe PTSD. You know, and if you read the comic book, he shuts down like he he's affected by this. You know, Solarum Prime, you know, we, we I've taken a, a boy at 16 who got superpowers and we meet up with him in the first issue five years later, and he's in a, you know, space prison. It's cool hand Luke in space. You know? What we have here is a failure to communicate. Yeah, and I, I tried to get that line in there, but we all, I guess they all disagreed. And they're like, nah, it's too much on the nose. And I'm like, all right, cool. So give me a derivative. Give me something like that. And that's Lawyers, like, you know, they ruin all our fun. Yeah, and nobody wants to get sued. So... Well, you and I and Doc know this because when we were rebranding, our first rebranding effort ended up uh, encroaching on, I think it was Battletech. Uh, and oh, so we yeah, got yeah. Yeah, we got the cease and desist lawyer. Luckily, their lawyers, and I'd have to dig it up because it's been three years at this point. But luckily, their lawyers were like digging what we were trying to do. They knew we weren't like intentionally. And it's something that was out of circulation. So they yeah. were only doing it to protect stuff they might want to bring back so the IP doesn't lapse. But they actually helped us find names that weren't going to get us sued. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Um, just down to us changing the name. And that's that happened to a character I have called the Cardinal. 
is that I ran into some IP disputes and they're like, well, you can't have it as the main title. I'm like, all right, cool. Then what? They're like, well, just name it something else and never refer to him as the Cardinal. And I'm like, I'm like, throughout the entire book, he's like, no, just on the cover. I'm like, oh, I got that. Crimson Guardians. Boom. Done. <laughs> you know. But and that that gets into some complicated issues. I actually suspect part of the reason everything is so derivative is because the the houses one they want to market on nostalgia, uh, because the people that are feeling nostalgic have the money you know to burn, Uh, and then two, I don't think they want to share proceeds with creators. So like you work for Marvel, you create uh, we'll call him Jim Bob Joe, and he becomes a bestseller. He becomes the Joe Dirt of our time. Right. That means any action figure, any movie residuals, all of that, you're entitled to a cut. Now, if they have you write Joe Dirt instead, because that somebody else owns that IP, they don't have to share any of the loot with you because you're writing an existing franchise. So instead of saying, hey, let's make a new superhero. They're like, well, I know. What if we make Superman from Mars instead this episode? Well, I mean, according to copyright law, you could create a character called Superman or Batman or the Flash or anything like that. Um, it's completely legal to do. Now, however, if you start encroaching on the business of those three characters, they'll start, you know, coming after you. And they'll just, and they know that because they're a big conglomerate. They got like WB behind them, you know, so they'll, they'll blind you in paperwork, even though you're in the right to do that. So I could tomorrow create Batman who looks like a bat. Not a cape. He actually has bat wings. I mean, I could I could draw one live for our audience, but uh, you know, most people don't do it because why? Why do you want to invite Warriors. the fight? Exactly. You don't want to invite the fight. So, I, I've been in three intellectual property disputes, and they've all been resolved with a conversation with the opposing creator. Hey, man. You know, what is your guy's powers? Well, he does this, he does that. Okay, cool. That's completely different from my guy. We can share the names. Not a big deal. And so that's actually, that's actually something we've talked, we've interviewed, you know, friend of the show, Walt Robillard, who also owns a comic slash gaming company. I don't think he does comics so much anymore, but that's one of the things he's talked about is you have to sue them though, because one, you have to provide, you have to protect the copyright. You're not just being a dick, excuse me, not being a jerk. But the other part of that is, uh, you cut down on piracy if they know if I come after this guy, he's going to make my life a living hell. Uh, that you're less, you're less of a mark, I guess. And so yeah, some of it yeah. is just business posturing, you know. And you just you have to do that, unfortunately, or they're going to rob you blind. And you yeah. know, uh, there are some people who don't think creators should be paid. I, I, I fundamentally against that. So they're like, Absolutely. oh, it's digital IP. I should be able to get it for free because I'm not stealing a book. I'm just reading a digital copy. I'm like, well, they never take that to the next logical conclusion. Yeah, you, so you, you let's say everyone, if you're everyone, downloading it, you're not buying it from me who shelled out the money to have this thing created. You know? Right. And so they would, their argument is, well, I'm not stealing the actual print copy. You could still sell that. Uh, the the counter to that is okay. So enough people steal digital copies that they don't buy it. Then what? Well, then I don't make enough on this comic book that I can have this as my day job. So I have to get a real job to pay my bills. Well, now I have less time to write, so I'm writing slower. Well, now I'm not selling as many. I can't afford to hire the best artist, the best colorist, the best uh, typesetter, the best you know w- insert parts of the trade. Uh, and so quality will kind of suffer. And then you'll be like something like a Wattpad or a Royal Road where people right. are literally complaining to the narrator for or, or the, the creator for not having 
professional quality content for their free book. And I'm like, well, he's not making any money. He's not spending money to edit this. And people don't under, like, they don't think if this, then what? Uh, and you end up with some of those problems. Right. But back to the comics, they did think if this, then what? Because they realized they weren't catching those young readers The because the market had evolved. And so they started servicing the adults. And what we got is plots that, that evolved with, with the times. And I yeah. think that that's going to be interesting to see where that plays out uh, and what that does to other franchises that might follow suit. Are there any comic related specifically franchises that you think or or you suspect might go that way? The darker, more gritty, mature. Well, vibe? I, I think they, uh, I mean, with Titans, Titans was always a kid friendly book. It was the sidekicks, you know, and then when they turned it into a, um, a mature audiences TV show, I, I think that's probably is far back as you're going to go. You took the most kid-friendly comic book and darkened it up, matured it up, you know, made it for the more mature readers that had been reading Teen Titans since the 80s when it came out, you know, when Dick Grayson came out as Nightwing and, uh, you know, was leading the team. So I think a lot, they're starting to understand that, yeah, new readers new viewers are great but your base are the guys like me the 40 the guys that are in their 40s they've been reading comic books since they could you know they first picked up a comic book at a comic book store like i did you know when i was like seven years old and have been reading comic books ever since i don't think it's a childish medium at all i think comic books as a whole um just kind of reinstate heroic um ideologies you know do the right thing have integrity but don't feel bad if you get caught in a dark situation that sometimes you might have to lower your values a bit to get through it you know it's also about survivability you know and the, I, I, um so and the turmoil that comes after that music is um you talk to any combat veteran of modern warfare so maybe vietnam on um and you ask them about their war and part of how they relate to it is through the music. Uh, Vietnam was yeah. a lot of protest music. They got repurposed the flight of the Valkyries uh, and some of the iconic songs that came out of the era. Um, we had some that happened. Um, some of it even created by people we were serving with at the time, but not necessarily directly in their units, but there is one uh, guy. There's two of them. Fitzy Massey, right? Does rap. He does a birthday message for the Marine Corps every year, which are funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Tyler J. Satfield, who did the EAS song, who, who publishes this Tyler J, um, which got him in trouble. It became like it, it reached the commandant's desk because, oh, <laughs> because nice. of how that played out. Uh, oh, and wow. so <laughs> he had to, he had a line in there. One that speaks to me is, "I'd rather run over an IED than ever have the BC speak to me." But another That's one of bad. the lines, and I can't remember if it was Fitzy Master or if it was Tyler J that had about that was that you have to let go of those morals and those ethics so you can kill more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just the reality of war. And so on the one hand, I grew up on GI Joe where at the end of every episode, nobody ever died. Nobody could hit a target, man. Their NCOs needed to do a better job. Blue lasers and red lasers. Yeah. Right. And then, um, but one of the things uh, that knowing, you, yeah. And knowing it's half the battle, but they always ended at Jerry Springer style with that. And my good message of the day. So they can yeah. kind of layer that on. They realized that that audience grew up 
and they had to move that, you know, morals are good, but reality is gray area. And they took right. the stories there. And so you start to see that, like, uh, I think DJ, was it something freeze? Like he was a bad guy. Uh, I think he's um, Marvel. Mr. Freeze. Mr. Freeze. Uh, when you re- realize, yeah, like he's doing a lot of bad stuff, but he's doing it because he's trying to save his wife. Yeah, and suddenly yeah. even the bad guys, like it makes sense, right? Like when you just do the mustache twirling villain, I think the story market, the the readers are past that. That's not good enough anymore. Why I, is he twirling I, his mustache, you know? Right. Um, and you I, see I, that I, now. I, I, I think that's because as the audience became more mature and they had more questions, why is this Why is this guy's motivations this? They, the, the comic book world, not only in the medium of actually print, but in the TV show too, this is where you start getting more of the, uh, the villain, the relatable villain. You know, um, bad guys just aren't bad guys anymore. They have, there's a reason that brought them to where they are. There's a reason why there's t-shirts that say Thanos was right, you know, because. Yeah. Goth Solace did nothing wrong. Yeah. Like I get it. Um, you know, what, what's, what's the guy from Galaxy's Edge? Uh, Tyrus That's Rex. like, uh, yeah, Tyrus Rex. And uh, he was the bounty hunter. And uh, Goth Solace was the sort of Darth Vader-like character. Obviously, right. Star Wars, not Star Wars. And they evolved way past any ties to to what motivated them in the beginning. Right. But Goth Solace was the, the quintessential bad guy. But a lot of the readers, like, they related to that. And so that was the right joke. tons Goth of Solace those did. things. Solace was not wrong or Solace was yeah. right. Yeah, Goth Solace was, did nothing wrong. Thanos did nothing wrong. Although... Thanos, there's there's some flaws in that thinking. Like, if you can snap and make everything different, why not just invent yeah. more food and the why, resources? Why not that... increase the resources? Mainly that's because of how, well, I, it's on the premise that human beings and any other type of humanoid alien out in the cosmos all operate under the same ideology. That if there's more resources, we'll just consume more. But if we reduce the people then maybe we'll adapt to the limited resource. Maybe we'll, it's like uh, bringing back the evolutionary scale. You know what I mean? Yeah. We need so, an apex predator was basically the idea to thin the right. herd. Well, I mean, we got a lot of stupid problems that we invent for ourselves in today's society because we don't have saber-toothed tigers running around picking us off. You know, don't don't at me with the accuracy of saber-toothed tigers being around when humans were. I, I don't care. It's just an analogy. Deal with it. Have some whiskey. You'll be better. But, uh, but that's the thing. We, we've advanced as much, uh, we advanced so much as a society, I should say, that uh, we've eliminated a lot of um, life ending, life threatening problems. We don't, but human beings strive in adversity. We strive in conflict. We strive in our own annihilation, you know? So we have to create problems for ourselves to, uh, to make us feel whole, I guess, to make us feel like uh, complete within a society, you know, and that's a lot of things that I deal with. My it's, too. it's one of one of the stories I'm working towards. There's a political philosophy that I studied in college because I was a history, English, poli sci triple major because I just couldn't commit. Um, and one of the things was the idea that uh, hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men and weak, weak men, men create yeah. hard times. And so it's it's just that essentially that circle of life. And we've reached a point where people forgot how good they had it. I didn't realize how sheltered we as Americans, and I look at the metadata on the podcast. I know most of our audience, like 90% are Americans. You don't realize how good you have it as an American or anyone really 
in the first world to go places like, you know, the sailors that did the Haitian ops. Like you look at Haiti or, or some of the African countries or Iraq, Afghanistan, the Middle East in general, like you don't realize how good you have it until you see the rest of the world. And I think that shades how we look at stories too. Well, I think the mature comments can force a com mature comics and storytelling can actually oh, force people to accept, Hey, this, the world's not so simple. It's not so easy. I mean, the poorest person in America today is living better than the Rockefellers did in the 1920s, better than the Kings of England did. And the, you know, every time past that, like, yeah. like we forget how far we've come. Oh, absolutely. And I see that in my day-to-day -day life at work, um, especially recently. I'm, I not only, Prior to this job, I was a world traveler with the United States military. I've been all over the world twice, met every man once, you know, that whole, that whole little rhyme. Um, I thought I had a really good understanding of the world. And then the world decides that they want to have an intergalactic or an international kegger on our frontier, on our border. And I talk to these people. I'm, I'm, I'm not a gruff, aggressive person. Like, I, I have empathy. I believe in law and order, but I also have empathy. So I talk to these people as best I can with the, you know, limited language barrier that we all have. I'm, I'm talking to people from Senegal, Angola, um, Afghanistan. You know, I talked to them today. Um, it was a five minute conversation trying to figure out which language they spoke. Was it Uzbek? Was it Pashto? Was it Farsi? Was it Arabic? You know, um, I've talked to a, a huge range of people and they're happy if I give them a bottle of water and a, and a, chocolate chip chewy bar from you know one of the boxes of chow that we have you know so and i i saw that too like that's one of the things that that really changed how i viewed the world is because i ran so i was light infantry so when i got to iraq they said <coughs> you know we don't need light infantry right now with light infantry just means we walk a lot and we don't have heavy like support right. from like tanks and stuff for those that don't know uh, and they didn't have a lot of need for that in OIF-1 and OIF-3. So 2003 and then 04-05. Uh, they didn't have a lot of need for me because everything was like Storm and Norman, Schwarzkopf kind of um, right. first Gulf and, all, and all that. Right. The first, first Gulf, like this is where tanks got to shine before they became glorified gate guards after a while. Yeah. yeah like, you heard me leave. Yeah, you heard me leave. Uh, one of my like huge uh, readers is a tanker who always wants me to write tank stories. Uh, and I give him grief for being a treadhead. He's the the quintessential death before dismount kind of guy. Um, oh, and, and, but so like when I was there, I did convoy escort. So I, as the security commander, um, the convoy commander was in charge of the convoy plan and the route, coordinating with everyone. Security commander was was exactly what it sounded. I protected the convoy. And if crap hit the fan, I could in theory relieve the convoy commander and take over. You don't because you still have to live with them when the shooting stops. Right. Uh, unless unless they mess up and then some and sometimes that happens and you just or they die or they die. Happens too. Um, then, then it doesn't matter. Um, but but as part of that, like I interfaced with all the TCNs, the third country nationals. And so they were like from not Afghanistan, but they were like from Pakistan and Turkey. Uh, a uh, lot of the India. I yeah. Mean, and so oh, some of the good food. Oh, my. Yeah. God. The one of the Turkish guys tried to get me to marry his daughter. I'm like, you know, I'm already married. He goes, it's okay in my country. We're good. So come yeah, to America. Be your okay. I'm like, wife. Uh, I'm like district uh, in Baghdad. I had a guy offer me his daughter. And yeah. I'm like, I was like, okay, first of all, cool. She's over 18. However, come on, I'm already married. She's beautiful. No disrespect to you or your family. I don't want to get beheaded. 
but yeah. uh, I'm already married. He's like, same thing. No, it's totally fine in my country. I'm like, yeah, but when I leave here, I'm not coming back unless I'm ordered to. And I don't want a second family. And I don't think my wife back home is going to agree to that. Yeah. But so as part of that, you realize like that clash of culture, I actually like that some of these new writers that and some of the comics that you've exposed me to, because before we started, you know, podcasting together, I just, ah, picture books, whatever. Like yeah. I, I thought comics were for swine. kids, right? I know you got, I knew you and Doc looked down at me as the pictured book, dude. No, but I mean, like, I just always assumed comics are for kids, right? Like I, I grew up on the Bazooka Joe and the Bubblegum comic. I mean, there were some funny one-liners, but like it was kid stuff, right? I don't think you've read Court of Owls yet. I've suggested that multiple times. That'll change. Uh, comics are an expensive hobby to get into. For a I book have two copies. I you. will send you one. All right. Outstanding. We'll make that happen. That, uh, I have two but, copies of Batman Hush. I will send that to you as well. Those will change uh, your life. But so, like, we start seeing when you start realizing the world is is a lot different than just our sheltered American you start seeing that portrayed in these stories too. And it makes everything so much richer. I think like the push to diversity gets a lot on, on both sides of political aisle to get their back up in arms right. for various issues. Uh, and, and I get both sides. My mother cursed me with the ability to see both sides of an argument, but yeah. all of that aside, the implications there considering other points of view makes the stories richer. And I think we benefit from that as modern day consumers and, in these modern yeah. day stories. And, and what's great is that you see that a lot now in the stories, the uh, the uh, being able to see the other side of the villain to be to uh, or not. A, the, I think it boils down to empathy. Uh, I think empathy and humanity are, are one and the same. Um, I think that's what makes us different from the animals that we have empathy. Um, so being able to see how the other side is looking at the world, their their world scope. Um, you see that a lot in modern storytelling in the comic book world. Um, I do it even um, in my stories um, where you have two heroes battling off, you know, against each other. And you're like, why are these two heroes fighting? And then I do a couple of pages of explaining like, hey, this is kind of like it was easy with the Crimson Guardian because the Cardinal has this um, this power to kind of like touch you and like see your life story. That's part of his power set. Um, so the guy that he was, you know, throwing dukes with 20 seconds earlier, he just decides, you know what, screw this one, my fighting this guy. And he creates that connection and sees that this guy's been through like some trauma. I mean, and there's a, um, one of the panels is like, you see this stoic hero with a tear dropping down his eyes and going, I'm sorry that life has been cruel to you. However, stop fighting me because I'll kill you. Yeah. So we're, we're going to wrap this here. We're going to put a pause in it because this conversation could go on. We uh, we intentionally stay apolitical. So we hope in dancing the line of that while we um, while we talked about some issues that do touch on modern culture. We, we hope we dance that line enough not to offend either side, because, like I said, my mother cursed me with the ability to see both sides. And I think both sides have some points uh, about the modern world that that, that are worth and considering. I think, I think we both pride ourselves on rather arguing we'd rather have a conversation right so with that being said what are your thoughts dear listener dear viewer on uh, on the way uh comics and and storytelling in general is evolving in some ways it's getting grittier darker more mature um we, are there violent. any properties yeah more violent are there any properties that um 
sort of encapsulate that the best that we didn't talk about, maybe we haven't heard, because we're always up to read new stories. Uh, are there any topics you want us to talk about um, with the new Fireside Chats? Because we've realized uh, as a podcast, Nick and I were talking about this in the pre-show, that we've almost let the guests that we interview define the show. And I love doing those interviews. They're fun. I find all kinds of new stories. I meet all kinds of great authors. We're never going to stop doing that. It's fun. I've read so much being part of this podcast that I ever had previously. But we want to do more than that because Nick and I are creators uh, in our own right. He he tells stories now because I've I've dragged him into the short story world. Um, Him and I wrote a uh, zombie story together, which I think you're going to really dig. Um, we, we wrote, um, uh, the Santa story together. Like I, I, I'm dragging him into the written world world written word as well. But like, you know, we've got our own products to sell. We've got our own opinions about stories. And I think as long as we keep it to our promise at the beginning from episode one, season one, that we are focusing on things from the the users, from the reader, consumer, whatever. And we don't talk about the craft because neither one of us are selling well enough or making enough are producing quick enough that we're any kind of experts on that. Let other podcasts do that for you. I'm not yeah. interested in that. <laughs> I'm interested as a nerd myself who reads the books and watches the movies and talking about that stuff. The, so the caveat me. there is that even though I don't make a lot of money making these books, I have made some great fans, um, people that are patient and willing to wait five years for the next issue and email I, me all the time. You know, no, so I, I I, I, I've made an impact and I think, JR's made an impact too on a select few. And that's, that's what I've always thought. Like if I sell one book, I feel like John Grisham, you know, and if I so, created a story and a character that people remember and are interested in and can't wait for the next story to come out of that character, then I feel like I've done my part. So I didn't say that to denigrate us. Cause I think like I get the letters, like I, you know, the reservist I wrote for the galaxy's edge has a little bit of a cult following people that read my first series. I still yeah. get letters from, Uh, Just in general, because I haven't shied away from the fact that I started writing as a PTSD therapy from the TBI clinic. And so other veterans, just like you, um, who, you know, went through some shit and and is trying to figure out how to live in the world after that, like they reach out to me all the time. Uh, And so I'm not saying we don't have opinions and we don't have a right to them and we're not creators in our own right. I only mean that if you're looking for a how to be a creator we're probably not where you want to go. There are other people that are better at those those kinds of podcasts. I, I'm actually going to disagree, JR. I, I think we have insight into being in the our respective worlds. And if anybody want to email me or you, I would hope, um, or message me uh, how to get started, I, I can definitely give you the framework. How to be successful in it, that's on you. But the framework on how to get started, I can definitely hook you up with that. You know, you're starting to sound like Declan Finn, who's been lecturing me about not pimping my own stuff and denigrating myself as a creator too much because he's read pimp some of my stuff. books too. Pimp so stuff. I, I'll say, yeah, I'll say it this way then. Uh, I'll stand corrected. I'm just not interested in doing a how-to podcast. For me, that's not as important, not as enjoyable as the stories themselves. And so that's oh, what I get. Agree. That's what wakes <laughs> me up at night with, oh my God, what if this, right? Yeah. You know, well, that's how like, I most of my stories. <laughs> right. Like I wake up in the middle that? of the night, you know, with uh, what, you know, like I'll give you this for instance, because I mentioned the reservists when I got hired to do that one story, the premise that got me was because Jason was eating a hamburger on a podcast um, during the show, making me hungry because of dieting. I've been dieting off and on for years trying to get myself right. back in airborne shape. Uh, and he was like, you want to be airborne. You got to be thin, which is an old line from a running cadence for those of you who weren't knuckle dragon door kicking grunts. 
And I was a dirty, nasty leg. I get it. But so I was like, well, what happens if you're a little bit chubby and you're in the reserves, but you're still a door kicker and a knuckle dragger, right? So the reservist was born because he was a little bit chubby. Uh, maybe a little wish fulfillment on my part because he was still a badass. But right, what um, you know, right? And so like. I got that idea because, you know, oh, you know, wake up in the middle of the night. What if, if this, then that, right? That, that right. basic value proposition. And I, I love that about stories. And so that's why we, we focus on the content from the consumers. Cause at the end of the day, you and I both read, we both watch everything. Right. And, and that's Absolutely. what it comes down to. So with that said, dear listener, if there's any topics you want us to do, cause we're going to try to do a lot more fireside chats, which is just, you know, panels of us talking. We, uh, we're looking at doing some of them where it's just the host and we're just shooting the breeze. Um, but, you know, if there's anything you want to hear, let us know. Um, check out the episode where Nick talks about Solarian Prime. Buy his comic. His wife wants new shoes. I'm told all the time that she's going to stab him if, if he doesn't write another one for her. So this is a PSA. Do your part so Nick doesn't die. At this right? point, I, like I, I think it's an empty with, threat. I, I like him with his blood <laughs> on the inside of his body. So please just, you know. Think of the children. Oh, the humanity, right? Buy his oh, comic. I will, link, I will link to his uh, the episode where we talk about Solarian Prime. Um, I think it's worth listening to. And uh, we link to the comic so you can give it a shot. In all of our episodes on the YouTube, we link to Nick and I's personal creator account stuff. Uh, you can support the show with the, with the Buy Me a Coffee that goes you know, to various topics. And if you put in there, like, because Nick doesn't have one set up yet. But if you put what? in there, hey, like, uh, oh. Buy me a coffee. If you oh, put no, in there, I, I, just, I just pick from yours. <laughs> yeah, but I'm saying like if if the creator says, "Hey, I'd really like you know to sponsor one panel from Nick," so he, you know, sits down and does it. No matter how tired he is after a long day guarding the border, here's ten bucks. Go draw me a picture, right? Like if you put in the the comment section, I'll make sure that gets to him. That's not a problem. With that said, okay. we do need to wrap you it up because we are. You should, and if you do, we'll link to that too. Um, right, cool. uh, Nick, speaking of, obviously it'll be linked in the show notes, but, but how can your diehard listeners, lovers of your content, your readers, all of that, how can they find you outside all of right. Blasters and Blades? Oh, you, you can find me personally on uh, Facebook, um, uh, Nick Garber art. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter at Nick Garber art. You can also find me at Apogee Comics on Twitter and Instagram and Apogee Comics on Facebook. Um, is there a social that I'm forgetting about? No, that that that's about it. Um, if you want to email me directly, you can email me at Nick Garber Art. Or, I'm sorry. Not Back that up. We'll fix that in post. Nick Garber Designs at gmail.com. You can also reach me at Apogee Com. No, wait, that's not right. Just reach me at Nick Garber Designs. Um, Otherwise, I'm throwing. He recently me. updated his social media, so he's fumbling I because the, the new links. <laughs> well, yeah, because oh. I went from apogeecomics.net to apogeecomics.com, and now there's new emails, and I'm just like, just just message me direct. I'm running the thing anyway. <laughs> so, and, and then just for those that notice, it's just the two of us. Uh, Doc is still on the show, but apparently it's stressful working in a chemistry lab where, you know, you drop the wrong chemical and you blow up the planet. Apparently, like, she's supposed to have enough sleep and, and not, theory. like, blow up the lab. I'm just saying, how are we going to invent the atom bomb number two if she doesn't experiment just a little bit? She's totally creating the T-virus, bro. We're, t we're talking Resident Evil stuff. It's going to be awesome. Or she could give Solarian Prime his powers. Uh, they're cosmic based, but 
we've discovered the power of the atom. She's kind of a chemist. Uh, she could probably do it chemically. Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, she's going all mad scientist. Uh, you know, it's cool. She couldn't make it. So we, we send her all of the love. Uh, if you have any questions for her regarding all things convention based, she's, she's the go-to gal. So, so reach out to her at Siska Smalls on the, on the Facebooks, uh, or in the, um, Facebook group for us. So speaking of the podcast, let's go ahead and you can find me by the way on jrhenley.com and uh, on all the social medias where I'm at, it's at Jr. Hanley. I'm kind of easy that way, mostly because I didn't have social media before I started writing because I'm a dinosaur. Um, I still miss oh. Tom. He was my first friend over on MySpace, and I never got over it when he left us. We had it so good with Tom. We did. And he let me play music on my page, too. Those he were told me about JavaScript to make my He page did. He better. did. And, and we oh, found all kinds awesome. of garage bands that you would have never heard about if they didn't hawk oh. their wares. So, oh, all right. Um, and before I list the podcast links, we're going to do a Apogee comic in review one of these days where he's got more stuff to sell and he can show us some of the art. He had art prep to show us and the conversation sort of went left when we meant to go right. It happens. Um, but uh, anyway. Just that. Oh, no, no, no. I just meant we zigged when we should have zagged. Hey, um, it took a wrong turn at Albuquerque. as Bugs <laughs> All I know at Albuquerque is Witsack, the TV show was set there. And um, they had a lot of weird people a, in Albuquerque. So I wonder if that too. checks out. But um, they probably do. So you can find us on the podcast at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the podcast at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Again, blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. I promise I do answer them. Um, we have a Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen. And if you go there, we'd really like you to interact with us, talk to us, make recommendations for guests we should interview, topics we should discuss, like do the thing. And, and we're, we're happy to, to, you know, we do this for you, listener, reader, viewer. Uh, and this is our fun little commune with the other nerds. So, so join in. But we're at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast again backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast that's the cult of the nerd where we all hang out we just don't drink the special kool-aid that's bad doesn't end well i'm told um and then nick what did you do should i check what you put in my water now yes always always okay. check what i give you man i'm like the uh, bill cosby but all right there jim me. jones uh so and then we we <laughs> have our website uh, if you got that reference, you're as old as we are, and we love you. Uh, we have our website where all the shenanigans happen at w, w no, it's not WW anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades, where you could support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. You can help keep the lights on. Again, this show isn't free to produce, so we appreciate those of you who uh, throw a few pennies our way and keep the lights on and all of that. It really does make our day, and we try to give you what you want. So, you know, if you're a supporter and you've got special uh, requests, you know, we'll, we'll cater to that because you keep the lights on. So we owe you, right? Yeah, and uh, you can support. Coins your richer. Absolutely. And you could support the show more directly at that buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley, where uh, you can support the show more directly. Be sure to put in the comment section that it's for the podcast. And I promise I will keep my co-host. Doc Saska and Nick Garber, duly caffeinated. They will drink until their liver and heart explodes. They will hear color and see sound. It will be glorious, people. Uh, yeah, and right. with that being said, also, if you want to sponsor 
uh, one of Nick's comics, you say, hey, I'd really like to buy a panel. You mention that and I'll, I'll pass the money to him. No problem with that. Um, Cause you know, we want to peer pressure him into comic glory, the glory land, right? Glory land. I, I want to reach Neil Adams status. Absolutely. And uh, with that being said, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us for Nick Garber and Doc Saska. I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blaze podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll uh, indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, old tried out army stories you've heard a hundred million times that we still love telling them because it was just yesterday for us. And with, with that, we also love all the things that go boom, uh, mostly because we're broken down grunts and we love bums. Thanks for uh, thanks for the coming on and proof of life. Uh, we, Any, we appreciate anytime, you know. Anytime you're going to see more of me, so we'll have to we won't have to do the proof of life so much anymore. Yeah, the the good thing about them uh, moving you off the boats and, and putting you on the donkeys, uh, you know, riding around the border. Um, I don't know if they actually ride donkeys or if you can. This is just you know I saw it on a cowboy movie once a hundred years ago. We had it. We're going we had with it. A, a, a subject bring his dog with him from his country of origin. I think he was Romanian. I'm like, you can't bring your dog, dude. And he's like, but he's my puppy. And I'm like, and I'll give him a good home. <laughs> but you can't have him. I I love dogs. And I couldn't ride him. I couldn't ride him. No, although you get the right mass if you can put a saddle on and your toddler can ride to war. Oh, that'd be so cool. But anyway, that's enough about this. We've gone on for almost two hours now, and Stabby is telling him that he needs to eat or she's going to stab him because, you know, that's what Stabby does. So we're going to let you go with this one, and we're going to have more with Nick and more with just us, the host, talking. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for coming, and we'll see you next time.